myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you If I don't say the words that maybe Good morning, welcome to NUFC Matters. It is the weekend uh, and uh, 24 hours time, Newcastle United will be uh, playing Tottenham Hotspur and uh, another Premier League game on the horizon. Uh, for an hour's chat though, we have Ben and Stu. It's the professional show, no Mitch today uh, due to the time that we're, um, we're doing this show. Uh, and I did notice on social media, a lot of people making out that this was going to be some kind of scrap between Stu and Ben. I don't know where the hell that's come from. Um, so I thought I'd better get a referee in. Uh, so I brought in... George, good morning, George. Morning, it's everybody. It's going to be a yeah, yeah, yeah. have George involved. <laughs> this is like the Premier League panel, isn't it? Two yeah. on one. <laughs> it is. It is good to have. Uh, it's good to have George involved because uh, George missed out on his show this weekend. Not not one but two. And um, nice to have George on. And it's uh, yeah, a Saturday morning chat about Newcastle United. And um, let's start, uh, Stu. Um, I guess with. Um, the midweek result against Everton. Um, it was a hard-working performance. We, we've seen Newcastle score five goals, four goals in their previous games, and Everton come into town. Um, you know, they didn't shut up shop like um, Crystal Palace and Bournemouth did. And, and I think the pleasing thing was it Newcastle found a way to, to change things and, and grind out the result. It was a, it was a different side to Eddie Howe's team on Wednesday night. Yeah, well, you're right there. It wasn't our most sparkling performance of the season. But for me, it was extremely satisfying the way they grounded out the, the game management. If uh, Everton come to spoil, and we've been guilty of doing that in the past when we're up against teams with more talent than us, so we can't really cry wolf for that. It's, but Everton come to spoil, and they, they got into, they tried to niggle and get into scraps. Joe, Joe Elton got booked early, uh, and he was saved by his injury, I think, because. For me, if he'd stayed on the second half, he was a red card waiting to happen, especially when there was the the fracas, shall we say, uh, in the in our in our penalty box. So the, the way the way we're playing now, it's the, the, there's a unity. I know Eddie have mentioned it yesterday at his press conference that there's a unity to the team. Everyone knows their roles. Everyone knows what everyone else's roles are, and and they're willing to fight for each other. Sometimes physically, uh, but. The, the work rate that they're going through is exceptional. And that's what's getting them higher up the league. Not just the, the money that's been ref referenced to earlier uh, in the week by other managers, which I'd like to talk about later on as well, because it's, it's ridiculous what's been happening with uh, certain factions of the press. But yeah, it was a great result. Great result, three points. Yeah, no, fantastic. OK, George, uh, your take on the game. You will have been there, like myself. Oh, what, what did you make of it? I really enjoyed the game. The word I would use as professional as I've used before with Eddie, Eddie Howe's team. I'm a bit surprised at how down some people are on what happened on Wednesday night because, frankly, in the first half, some of the football in the first half was superlative. Uh, I, I mean, if, if that Bruno goal had gone in, that they would have been talking about that as a goal of the season. It went from back to front and it would have gone in the net and nobody else would have touched it. It was it was fantastic football. So I'm I'm not as down on that. The other thing I think Stu's already said it, but I'll say it again. I cannot remember having uh, a defensive lineup that's so comfortable on the ball as ours are at the moment. 
it's absolutely incredible. They're, they're all happy to play with the ball at their feet and receive the ball. There's, there's no um, suicide passes like they used to be in, in, in days gone by. They're all with it. I've got to say, <clears throat> uh, Sven Botman is, is what a superb footballer he is. When he brings the ball out of defence uh, and he's getting pressed by the opposition, he has this knack, a knack which some of our attackers should learn, of dropping his shoulder and people are going all over, but he's still in control of the ball. Everything about it at the moment has is, is, is really got me pleased. And Wednesday night pleased me because, yes, they did grind it out a little bit. Um, but the t- togetherness, which uh, came to the fore when young Gordon tried to get a penalty in, in, in our box, I have to say, what, what a disappointment for somebody like me who's been watching the game a long time to see a young man of huge talent. I've no, I've got no uh, surprises that they're asking 30, 40 plus million for him. But what, what a shame that uh, already uh, that he's looking to get um, things out of the game he's not entitled to, penalties, free kicks. Uh, some of his, some of his uh, dives, I mean, it wasn't just the one, it was several times. Uh, he needs to be called out about it. So you know, and, and I, but as a game, loved it, loved it. it. It was hard work sometimes, but we still held it. When's the last time we went through ninety minutes of football, and the opposition didn't have a shot on goal? Mm. And that was Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah, good point, um, Ben. The, uh, the the penalty incident, um, which George is referring to, there. I listened to Frank Lampard after the game, and he said it was a penalty. What was your What was your views on that? Well, it was never a penalty. I think Frank Lampard is bound to say that, but Everton weren't deserving of anything from the game and Newcastle are finding a way to win these matches now. And that's the kind of positive football fans might want to see a certain style of football. And I think Newcastle have maybe got an expectation because we've seen how expansive they were and clinical at times in the 3-3 against Manchester City and the 4-1 at Fulham and the 5-1 at Brentford, but ultimately there have been two Newcastles this season. There's been the team that have been able to kill off games and then there's been the team that have been able to win a bit more professionally and manage out games. And both of them are really quite outstanding qualities to have. And I think that is what ultimately makes a win like Everton very positive and exciting from a Newcastle perspective. First and foremost, you had a goal that was game-changing from a player that's in red-hot form And then in addition to that, you have that ability to kind of weather the storm or the occasion. In Everton's case, it was more a case of tempers boiling and the contention of the penalty than necessarily too much they did in the Newcastle box. But undoubtedly, this is the type of game that Newcastle would have easily drawn or lost under the Steve Bruce era. And that's what confidence does when you're kind of in second gear but you've got a first gear in the moment of quality that you can find. And then when you get your noses ahead, Newcastle United are very difficult to beat. So then as far as the penalty is concerned, of course, Everton thought that Gordon was fouled in the area. And then there was that needless scuffle, but I don't think there was enough in it. And ultimately VAR agreed. So that was the right call for me. Frank Lampard's turned things around at Everton. He's made them more resilient. There's a bit of personality about the team. So when you get players that care, that's one thing. But when a young player allows his tempers to flare 
and get sucked into the moment, then the danger sometimes is that a team like Newcastle, who are dominant and ahead in the game, can actually be the ones that get sucked down. And that's what a lot of teams might end up doing to Newcastle, particularly those lower down the table. Whereas Newcastle, perhaps historically, under Steve Bruce at least, turned up to big games, went away from home and had to have a game plan that showed the opposition respect. Now their favourites and underdogs, especially at St James's Park, are going to try a lot of tricks. They're going to throw themselves on the ground. They're going to get involved into scuffles. They're going to try and rile players. So the word professional was used, but I think another key word is composure. And Newcastle are showing that really well. So you look at the 1-0 and ultimately it's a win. All we're going to remember is the Almiron goal and another three points for Newcastle. But what I'm looking at a bit broader is just how they've gone essentially from a very positive result against Manchester City, even though it was only a point, to a little bit of a rut because they battled through against Tranmere. They only drew with Wolves. We all know that Wolves have been struggling. And then Newcastle, they were desperately unlucky, but ultimately they still walked away with no points in a game that they could have won. And then you suddenly follow that up with, I think, the stalemate against Crystal Palace and then the postponed game against West Ham. And then it was a draw against Bournemouth. So Newcastle had to get out of that run and then from there, they thrashed Fulham, they thrashed Brentford, they played very well away at Manchester United, they got the job done against Everton, and that's really turned the complexion of the season around as we start to head towards the World Cup break. Mm, OK, uh, lots of uh, good points coming in, questions. I'll try to get through to them in the second half of the show. Who's the top stew? Uh, Barry's asking. It's Al Halal's away shirt from last season. It's the Team Newcastle player in Saudi in December. It was, yes. it was gifted to me off a client, so this is their way of shirts. Ah, so I thought I'd the next scene it was an MCS, they were playing them in the game yeah. in a couple of months. We'll come to that shortly. Michael Clark says, never thought I'd say this, but we lost the midfield when Joe Linton went off. Hope he is fit tomorrow. He's not going to be fit tomorrow, Michael. Uh, judging by what Eddie Howe said at the press conference yesterday, it's uh, it's a rather unusual knee injury that Joe Linton has. Um, and... It, he didn't say that he wasn't available, but you know you can tell by Eddie Howe's press conferences these days what he means when he says certain things, and it does look as if it'll come too soon for for Joe Linton. Willock, of course, has been slight um, recovering from an illness, um, although he was you know available and did play a small part against Everton on Wednesday. But yeah, it looks as if uh, Joe Linton might miss tomorrow, so uh, we will we will see. Uh, I want to talk about set pieces. We covered it on the Amigos last night. Uh, Simon Davies has left a comment on uh, the YouTube comments. Uh, if you missed the show, by the way, feel free, if you've got something to say when you watch it on Catch Up, to leave it in the comments because, um, you know, I do read them and we can always come back to that and it, it sometimes creates a good talking point. But we were talking about um, lack of goals from set pieces, um, i.e. corners. Um, we don't seem to get many headers. Um, and, and Simon says he couldn't agree more on the corners. Header scenario, last time we had a headed threat was probably under Sir Bobby. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a small criticism, I guess. Um, but, you know, Rome wasn't built in the day, Stu. We, we don't seem to get many goals from headers. Um, and when you think about our team, it's probably the tallest team that I can remember in my Newcastle United history. Why do you think that is? I think the opposition are wary of it as well. And it's it's something Mitch covered last night as well. The the way that if you've got your, your Botmans, your Shaws, your Chris Woods, you're all, all Dan Byrne especially, you know, they're all six foot plus. So it, it does cause chaos in their box. And you can see they've been working on not just corners, but other set pieces. 
But I agree, we should be getting from uh, more goals from corners, especially. But I would have someone like Bruno sitting on the edge of the box, waiting for a knockdown or a clearance, and, and to rifle it in. But I'm not that concerned. We went. I remember when I was speaking to GSE about it. We went to Yesmer scoring from a corner uh, back, maybe it's about 10, 11 years ago. So it's, it's nothing new for Newcastle, but we will score from them. And as long as we're creating, and if the, the key to any game is is if the opposition is more worried about you than you are about them, it gives you the upper hand. And when these guys go trundling into the box, it does put the fighters up them. So I'm, I'm sure they all work in different set pieces and de uh, different players. And there was an instance there, the Bruners' first goal uh, a couple of weeks back. The, the, I know it was a free kick, but the way they dragged the ball out and then crossed it deep for him because he went in unnoticed because he's not, not the tallest. That gave us the, the springboard ticket to, to get on with it. So, yeah, we haven't scored from corners, but I'm not that really bothered as long as we keep scoring and, and keep winning. It makes no difference. George, uh, corners, set pieces, um, set well, pieces, free, free kicks. We do really well. We've got some great free kick takers. And, you know, we, we do okay from that. But just the corners, when you've got the likes of Botman and Byrne and, you know, uh, you know come, come and flying in, you, you think we'd see something. But I've, I have noticed a change. They are thinking more about things. You can see training ground rehearsal coming into the games now, um, which is something we haven't had for a long time. What do you think? Well, I, I think it's... Uh... Yes, it would be nice, but if you if you analyse the goals that we've had uh, from set pieces and corners, you'll find that quite a lot of the goals that we've got, the the the, the move that made the goal has been from a header. If you look at Fulham, two of the goals from Fulham against Fulham, um, I mean the 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 uh, Wilson one, that would have gone in anyway, and it was a header. The Longstaff one was the result of a header being pushed out by the goalkeeper. And Longstaff came in and belted it in the back of the net. So I'm not that desperately concerned. What I am pleased about, and, and you've said it, Steve, is, is that they're clearly on the training ground using their brains to try and uh, set up things which uh, are different and, and play the ball in at a different angle and that sort of thing. You can see it, it's coming out. Dare I say, I even suspect that practice and throw-ins on the training ground, would you believe? <laughs> Just to go back to one of my old uh, uh, carps about, about modern football. Um, I mean, uh, against Everton, I could see there were two or three times they used they used um, a new move uh, with, with the throw-in, which meant we retained the ball. I'm sick of, just to expand that, why I'm upset about it. I get sick of, even at Bobby Robson's time, of seeing us get a throw in to our advantage in the opposition's half, take the throw in, and 20 seconds later, the opposition shooting at our goal. Why should that happen? It shouldn't happen. For God's sake, I, you know, my throw, my throw in experience goes back to Charlie Mitten, who had, who had five ways you could take a throw in. And if you didn't stick to that, by he was in the dressing room to tell you. Um, so I, you know, I see what you said, Steve. They're actually at set pieces and all that sort of thing, looking to get different angles, and you can see them playing it off and, and so on. So I'm not um, desperately upset that we're not getting direct headers into the back of the net because we seem to be setting goals up anyway. So that, that suits me fine. 
Ben, have you noticed a change in um, the way Newcastle are, you know, putting, you know, putting you know, set pieces together? And you know, have you have you noticed a big change? Well, Stephen Purchase has come in as a kind of set piece coach, so they're obviously working very hard on it. But what I think we're seeing, which is really intriguing, is Newcastle are just winning a lot more corners, and perhaps that's why people are realising that they're not as successful. So at the moment, I think they've had eleven more corners than any other team in the Premier League, and that stat might not appear too relevant to most but generally speaking the teams that get the most corners end up being the best teams in the Premier League and if you look back at who's had the total corners in terms of the highest amount over the course of pretty much the last decade it's usually Liverpool or Manchester City and then if you look at Newcastle last season they were 19th in the table I believe for total corners this season they're top they've had 11 more off the top of my head anyway than any other team so that tells you that they are bossing games, they are winning corners and set pieces at a higher frequency. So naturally, they now have to focus on capitalising from that. But corners these days are not as clear cut as perhaps they used to be tactically. When you think about a corner as a fan, I think people still expect it to be pinged in, someone wins the header, bang, goal. And now football clubs still focus on near post. They try and get a little flick on because it puts it into that lottery of the sort of six yard area. And obviously short corners have got a high importance as well. And you don't always score directly. So it's more about utilizing the corner to get a preferable angle of delivery, even if you don't score from the direct phase. But teams that just try and lump it into the penalty spot now and expect a defender to run from the edge of the area and header it in, like when I was watching football as a Leicester fan growing up, as Steve Walsh or as Spencer Pryor used to do, you don't see those goals anymore. And unfortunately, it's a kind of risk-reward with a corner, tactically and statistically speaking. So when you go to the near post, seven times out of ten, you won't beat the first man which sounds really demoralizing to say you've got a 70% failure on a corner kick. But the three times out of 10, when you do beat the first man or when you do get a flick on at the near post, there's then a very high percentage that it will lead to what is called a big chance. And that is why teams do it. And I suppose baseball is very similar. If you look at a batter walking up and they've got a 33% success rate in terms of hits, that is three out of 10, effectively, but it's quite good in baseball. And they play those odds and they reward those odds and they're happy effectively to be out seven times out of 10. And corners are becoming a little bit like that, that you would rather say, if I'm going to get 11 corners in a game, let's say, well, let's just call it 10 for the sake of the mats. Then if three out of those 10 are good corners, then we'll sacrifice the fact that the same kind of delivery for the other seven can fail and that's okay. And set-piece coaches in particular that I've spoken to, they do play those odds. So they're trying almost to just get a volume of corners. And in doing so, they therefore know that eventually the odds will reflect that. So that's really interesting in the sense that Newcastle are now playing in a way where they're perhaps getting to the byline more, where they're happy to ping it off players if they're going nowhere in order to get the set-piece because eventually they trust in that process. So I think if we look at the numbers by the end of the season, if Newcastle are still somewhere near the top of the total corners won, then not only will the success from set pieces improve simply because of the volume that they're creating, but regardless, just constantly having those corners seems to translate 
towards teams having success in the Premier League. If you look at that corner tally from seasons gone by, it's quite an accurate reflection of the final table. I was having a little glance a few days ago at this, and you always find that the big six are within the top 10. It's only Manchester United, historically, as they've been inconsistent, that have been outside of that top half of the total corners tally. So actually, even if Newcastle are not succeeding at the moment in translating the corners directly into goals, the fact that they're up there and the fact they were second bottom last season is really very promising. And then the other thing is they've always had this problem, haven't they? I remember back in, what, 2013, I think off the top of my head, it was Loic Remy that scored from a corner. And it was something in the region of three years that Newcastle yeah. had to wait and nearly 400 corners to actually get that goal. So that tells you that this is a historical problem, but it's one I'm sure that they're trying to address. Yeah, 100% they are. Okay, uh, press conferences have been uh, talked about in the chat. Uh, people asking, do you think press conferences are important? Well, of course they are, because, you know, you need to be informed. And Newcastle fans have, have, have screamed out, really, for communication for years. And now the fact that Newcastle United's uh, YouTube has been used in, in the right way and, you know, we're, we're getting to hear and see Eddie House press conferences each week, uh, you know, 25, 30 minutes long each time. We're getting to hear the questions, but... Most importantly, we're getting to hear who is asking those questions. And I find that fascinating. And I've started doing uh, an anyhow press conference review on the channel uh, just to just to dilate it and, and try and give fans an, an idea of who's actually asking these questions because I think it's important. And it's not for any other reason than informing Newcastle fans because people don't have the time sometimes to listen to a half-an-hour press conference. Obviously, relay, relaying the stuff about uh, injuries is important. Uh, talking about um, how Eddie, you know, is feeling about you know the potential opposition, uh, what what squad he's going to pick, uh, what team potentially he might pick, but you know transfers, etc. I think yesterday, Stu, again, and, and I've mentioned this last night. Simon Bird from the Mirror, great guy, great journalist, got a lot of time for him. Um, you know, met him on numerous occasions. Um, I am not saying, and I, and I said this last night. I don't think he did it for any malicious reason, uh, but he did ask two questions yesterday. And the two questions were obviously around the Saudi trip, which you just said we're going to Saudi uh, for for a winter training during the World Cup. Um, he asked about he asked Eddie Howe about the World Cup. Uh, what do you think about Saudi potentially bidding for the World Cup? Do you think it's a good idea? And he also asked the question about Newcastle's trip to Saudi. And I thought that was a bit of a leading question, my opinion, of course. But he's you know he basically said, will he be doing any promotional work out there for the club or for the government? The, like the country, and I thought Eddie Howe did remarkably well, as he does. He is an expert at answering these questions, swerved them brilliantly. Um, my concern was that the answer to that question, had it been something a bit different, i.e., I think it's a great idea that Saudi gets the World Cup, or um, yeah, we're doing some promotional stuff out there for uh, you know, the country, etc. I think it would have been probably written up by him, maybe in a good way, a positive way. But I think on the other side of it, it could have been maybe misrepresented by other journalists who, once again, I have seen on social media, you know, voicing their opinions. Um, and they're entitled to their opinions, but it's not going to go away. It's not going to change things. I just I just wonder what your take on it was, Stu. You, you, you live, you know, you live in the Middle East. Um, yep. you, you do business there. Um, you're hands-on. Uh, you have a lot of clients who live in Saudi Arabia. What was your take on that yesterday? It's clickbait, isn't it? It's uh, thankfully, Ben's lived in the Middle East as well, so he, he has an understanding of where I'm coming from. But uh, I 
have to be careful of our word this, especially considering the time of day we're at. But it's all these people who are now taking the moral high ground with the... Uh, and it's, let's not dance around it. It's human rights that they're trying to get Ellie Howe to comment on so they can jump down his throat with it. It's... Yes, it's clickbait, but you know what it is? It comes from fear. If they haven't lived here, they haven't seen how welcoming it is. And these these journalists, uh, for one of a better phrase, because they're not journalists, they're, all, they're not even hacks, you know. It's, they're using social media to to gain infamy because that's how the, the press works these days. It's not on the amount of publications sold, it's, it's on the clicks for the advertising. But these people, uh, where were they? before Newcastle got taken over, how come they're now all of a sudden human rights experts? They're not. It's based out of fear, and the same goes for Jurgen Klopp. It's based out of fear for their own club. Um, they're, they're scared of Leicester, uh, Leicester's fairy tale story, Newcastle replicating that, but also with sustainability. And then that fairy tale becomes their nightmare, where this team up north, where it, there isn't a, a big press base, as there is in the northwest, there is in London, they would have to travel up here. They're very, I mean, I would hate to sit in a Man United press, press room because it would just be like sitting with a, a room full of cacti, wouldn't it? You know, because they're all a bunch of pricks if you, if you want to pardon, pardon me language. So. <laughs> Dear me, I see no, the they, Yeah, but they come out with stupid, stupid things. Uh, and I'm sure Ben will vouch for this. If, if you were living in the Middle East as an expat, uh, as I am, as Ben did, as Mitch does, as, as many of the people who are watching this show do, this, the countries are very clear. These are our rules. Respect them, and you are welcome. And if you do that, you will have a fantastic time. You get cultural experience. A lot of these people have never actually lived or moved or even visited. They'll take the freebies for the boxing or the World Cup and stuff like that. But the, the preaching from a higher ground, a moral high ground that they really shouldn't be on, and it, and it all stems back from you've got something like Jurgen Klopp. So I did a bit of research this morning when he was talking about the amount of money that we'd spent. Now, if you look at the summer transfer window, because it, you can, was it statistics, statistics and damn lies or something like that. Now, from January, yes, we have spent the most, but bear in mind, we were odds on heavy favourites to get relegated from a team with nothing. So sorry that we spent money to try and salvage our position in the Premier League. Villa did the same. Now, in the summer transfer window, we were the eighth biggest spenders in the league, the fifth net biggest spenders. Now, above us was uh, Nottingham Forest. Who, yes, they have been chastised for their scattergood approach, but they did have reasoning behind it. And they have been defended to a point because of mismanagement in the past and they had to basically stop off to uh, bring in a new squad. Then West Ham uh, spent more than us. Now, has anything been said about West Ham spending more than us net this summer? And they finished in the European places last season. So they've spent more than Newcastle. So is it because the, the sex toys that the owners used? Is it because they were in more demand during lockdown that nothing gets said about it? Or because our owners are investors for a, for a country who makes oil that makes the world go round? It's, it's crazy. And it, to try to bring human rights in it, go to the front pages, ask go to your editor and ask for a transfer. We're here to talk about sport. They should be asking questions about sport. And anyhow, he must be getting bored of batting these questions off. But where are these same reporters who are lauding MBS for his negotiation skills to get five British people released from uh, Russia? Where, on their own doorstep, why aren't they 
banging on about Mason Greenwood. You know, why aren't, they, why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they asking where the missing Chelsea money is for Ukraine? That was the government promised. But it's not, it's, it's an easy thing. And we as Newcastle fans are guilty of responding all the time. You say it, one of the journalists will put something on, and then within an hour, there's 500 comments, mostly abusive. Uh, and and that's, that's what they want. Now, uh, I think if you remember, Steve, a few weeks back, I had a conversation on Twitter with Miguel Delaney. And he would ask a question, I would answer it. When I asked this question, he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't answer the question. He would then divert it back to his narrative, but still not answering the question that was asked. But the, what he was judging the Newcastle fans on, I was saying, well, why don't the Man United fans do that? You were quick enough to take Saudi money for a long, long time. Tottenham had the begging ball out and tried to pull their pants down by saying their club was worth a lot more than what it was. It's bitterness. And they know that Newcastle United is coming. They can't stop it. We're not spending as much as teams below us have spent. And we haven't spent as much as Chelsea. We've spent a quarter of a billion. Man United spent net over 200 million. We spent half of that. And why the outcry? It's, it's out of fear. And that's it, Steve. So the the way that these the press go on, they're, they're actually embarrassing themselves. And they're embarrassing the people who, like Ben, who work in the industry. You know, your, your job is to do some research, report and facts. Now, if Ben makes comments about the Middle East, I'll listen to it because he's been here and he's lived here and he understands it. But when you have people who, who just sitting there drinking and uh, quaffing on his champagne and the same guy who was praising Ronaldo now won't say anything bad about him, be consistent with your criticism. Don't just aim it at one, one club or one person. Eddie Howe's done a better job than any other English manager has done in this league. For, for at least five or ten years. I can't think of a one who's done a better job. And this is the guy they all laughed at who couldn't keep a defence. His defence couldn't uh, cons would cons constantly concede goals. Anyhow, has changed the defence, but we're not a defensive team. We're a front foot, front foot, and I swore again, a front foot attacking team. And everyone's defending together. And it's I think it's just jealousy and fear that... We are onto something in every fan base. If you speak to proper fans, they're actually not jealous of Newcastle. They're actually happy. Uh, living outside, you get to meet all sorts of different uh, supporters. And, and they all say the same thing. You fans have been fantastic for, for years. You deserve a bit of success. You know, wish it would be us. That's what the real fans do. So they talk about sport washing. They're talking about brainwashing people by banging the same drum. But just because it's written that many times doesn't make it true. That's that said. George, forgive me, but I'm going to go to Ben uh, because right, you know, Ben is same. Ben is a great yeah. friend of this show, and um, I respect Ben as a journalist. I think um, we've we've had a great relationship over lockdown, and uh, you know we've got a chance to meet at, at football games. And he always gives it straight down the barrel. He yeah. gives it gives an honest answer. And as Stu rightly points out, he's lived lived in the Middle East as well. We've um, got mutual friends, Ben, by the way, in Dubai. Yes, you've got quite a reputation. You've got a quite a reputation in the Irish village, may I add. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said about that. Don't drop it. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, Ben. I mean, look, it, we get we get this all the time. Me and you discuss this quite a bit when we do a show together, and um, it, you know, you can tell it, it's something which Stu's very passionate about, as as you would imagine. And it's it, you know, he's a very intelligent guy. He's he's, he's, a, he's a great businessman. He's a good friend to me. And from my perspective, he's got. You know he's you know he's got it right. I, I've got to agree with him, and um, I don't ever see this ever being solved. Ben, what's what's your take on it? 
Well, I think Stu makes a number of valid points. And the first thing to say, which is key, and I think the Qatar World Cup will show this as well, is if you haven't been to the place, you simply don't have a full perspective. And that's not to say that every journalist can or should get to every single place, but it is vital, I think, when talking about the Middle East specifically, that you actually go over there. Otherwise, in the context of the World Cup, you're going to be starting by saying you can't drink or you can't show any flesh or it's too hot all the time. And then when you arrive, you see something very different. And I learned that myself going over. I was a very hard hitting journalist out in the Middle East. I was quite happy to attack a number of different areas that I thought in a preconceived way before I arrived were worthy of stories and were being undercovered in the region. And then after you live there for a while, you develop that balance and you realize that there's a lot of people working hard to change the perception and the dynamic and to promote tourism and ultimately to put new governance in place. And similarly, there's still the same old problems and there's a balance there. And journalists, generally speaking, need to be able to ask questions but in this context, are they asking the right question to the right person? And if everything goes to Eddie Howe in the same way during the Abramovich sanctions and sale of Chelsea, that all the questions went to Thomas Tuchel, eventually the manager is not going to be able to say any more. So then there's two points here. One is a journalist is still entitled to raise issues but there's only so much that a manager either can say or will know. And after a certain point, if the journalist continues down a line, they will appear to have an agenda or alternatively, they won't learn anything new, which means they'll look sillier and sillier with their line of questioning. And it's a balance in this case, because as I've said many times, regardless of specifics, I personally believe, not just with Newcastle, but with a lot of football clubs, that owners that have questions, both positive and negative to answer, should put themselves in front of the media, especially if they're new to the club. And if they're not going to put themselves in front of the media, do it in front of the fan base. Because I've said many times on this show that I'm greedy. I would love that interview with Yasser Al-Rumian. And he's the one that a lot of these questions should be directed to. And then if answers are provided at that point, if the journalists continue to ask the questions constantly, the answer's been provided. But obviously, as long as Yasser Arumian doesn't engage directly with the English media over a year into owning the football club, the journalists can keep throwing the questions to Eddie Howe because there's been no one there with the authority and the Saudi knowledge to kind of rebuff them, which is why I think it will be in Newcastle's interest to just put someone from the majority owner directly up, not Amanda Staverley, not Eddie Howe, because then if Yasser Arumian answers eloquently and gives the perspective and he knows the region and he's part of PIF, at that point, if we as journalists continue to hound and ask these questions and they are unfair, the answer's already been given. And at the moment, it's only really Eddie Howe that's given the answer. And that gives journalists a window of opportunity to create headlines, but at times as well, ask very fair questions. And ultimately, as long as Newcastle United are linked to Saudi Arabia, there will be that agenda. And I don't mean necessarily agenda as in people are against Newcastle United, but it will be on the news agenda. And I think that Newcastle just have to accept that. 
And in some ways, it's a compliment because it shows that if Newcastle are developing and becoming a bigger club, there's more interest. And when you get more interest, you get journalists from different outlets. And the reason this comes up in the press conference, just to give you a bit of context, is because when you turn up to a press conference, particularly if it's a big game or there's been a significant announcement, you get a more global sense of press. So suddenly you might get a business journalist, a tabloid journalist, a foreign journalist, a Saudi journalist, and obviously each of them have got their angles. And sometimes why we ask a series of what can be construed as repetitive questions is because we have our article in our head. We know what the angle is. It might be niche, it might be specific. So you need as many quotes as you can to back it up. And that's often why you see a line of questioning to try and flesh out a story because we're not necessarily turning up with a blank slate. We've predetermined what we want the story to be. And then obviously we're trying to get as many quotes as we can. And I think that's the context. So point number one for me is just, again, that I think Yasser Al-Rumian should come in front of the English press. Now, I fully accept that not a lot of owners have done that. Todd Bowley hasn't done that at Chelsea. The Manchester City ownership group haven't done that. But the reason why I single out Newcastle is because transparency was the key word in the takeover. And I think that if PIF, as they said many, many times, had nothing to hide, why not come in front of the English media and win almost that interaction between the media and themselves and then say, we've done it. We've come in front of you. We've given you our answers. Now, if you persist with this constant line of questioning, we'll just refer you back to the answers we've already given. So I actually think that journalists are able to capitalize on the mystery almost and direct everything at Eddie Howe. The second thing is that it isn't fair on how to keep being hounded on this, but it's normal in the sense that if Newcastle are going to go to Saudi Arabia, it will come up. And all Newcastle can do is offer insight. And this is the final point that I would make, that Eddie Howe's been to Saudi Arabia once before. The vast majority of journalists haven't. And when he goes again, he will be able to specifically give examples on the football side and Maybe Eels can give examples on the commercial side or Newcastle can make an announcement about how this partnership's developing. And that can all be very positive. And the best way to rebuff a question that seemingly is unfair or outside of your remit is to bring it back to something in your remit and express a viewpoint that a journalist will not know. So if I was Eddie Howe, whether based on the last trip out or after this trip, I would be talking about the reason why they're going to Saudi Arabia on the football side and not just saying, I can't answer that or we're going there for football reasons. But let's give the full context here. Eddie Howe at Bournemouth came out to the Middle East frequently. They were based in the UAE, in Dubai specifically. So he sees the value of warm weather training in that region. So going to MENA, the Middle East and North Africa, is nothing new for Eddie Howe. So there's not a manager in Howe who's like, yikes, I didn't really want warm weather training. I didn't really want to go out to the Middle East. He's done it before with Bournemouth regularly. And now he's going to Saudi Arabia again. And then why Saudi Arabia? Well, he should explain why because they have incredible training facilities. They've got amazing medical facilities. They have privacy. And in addition to that, they can maximize the fact that they're there at the back end of the World Cup and no doubt draw some sponsorship. They've already got Noor on their shirts and they're no doubt about to announce a big Saudi-based main commercial partner. 
And in modern football, every club does that. Arsenal came out to Dubai when they were with Emirates. Manchester City came out to Abu Dhabi because of their ownership group. And I think that when Howe explains that and maybe talks a bit about the sports tenets of Vision 2030 and NEOM being created as a sports city, as a more westernized city, and also the fact that sports tourism is a big aspect of what both Vision 2030 and more broadly the Saudi government are trying to do with a view to kind of World Cups, it all ties into how a football club can help. Now, of course, we as journalists might then say, yeah, but we all know it's about the money or we all know that you're just ignoring the human rights and we're entitled to ask those questions. But Eddie Howe is equally entitled to say, I respect that point, but I am the manager of the football club. But if he only fobs it off, and he doesn't give the context, if he doesn't argue the football worth specifically. And that's what people don't realise that haven't been out in the Middle East, that if you look at Qatar and the Aspire facility, if you look at Dubai or Abu Dhabi and some of their indoor pitches, some of their medical facilities and how sport can benefit from that, they are world class and they are helping footballers prevent injuries and rehabilitate. They are providing you with simulated pitches. Like I remember going down to Aspire and there were eight pitches and each one of them had a different temperature, a different speed. So it's almost like a golf course in many ways where each green is a different speed, a different undulation. So as you're training, you can basically be like, great, this is my home pitch. This one simulates the away pitch where I'll be playing next week. And this one is a virtual indoor one where I can navigate and take free kicks in a studio and all my stats will come up and I can get an accurate perception of how hard I can kick the ball and what my elevation is. And you can do all of that just by moving from place A to place B to place C. And I've never seen anything like it. And I'm sure Saudi Arabia has something very similar. And this is the future. And what emerging regions do like Saudi, is knowing they can't just start a global world-class league and knowing that they can't lure everyone over there, they often focus on science and medicine and facilities because they know those are the things they can control. And if they build them at an elite level, then they attract people over there. And Newcastle are looking to benefit from that. So once again, it's absolutely important that journalists do look at the moral aspect whether through the broader prism or if and when relevant through Newcastle. It's equally relevant that we do keep pushing for direct interaction with not only Yasser Al-Rumiyan, but every owner to make sure that football is transparent. And I agree, we have to be consistent with that. And we make no apologies for that. But it's also important that in the case of a club and a manager, we give them a fair chance to stay within a football remit. And the best way of doing that is by letting Howe talk about football and putting somebody else up who's openly prepared to discuss both the positives and negatives and areas of improvement and areas that still need improving. So Newcastle remain a socially conscious football club that value their Saudi ownership, but also are aware that as a big football club, they need to speak out on areas of improvement. And I think if you get that balance, but if everything's on Eddie Howe, then he'll get ganged up on. And that's unfortunate, but it is just the reality that if the only voice Newcastle put up to speak on these issues is the manager, then rightly or wrongly, and I'm not saying it's always right or fair, I hold my hands up, but if it's only one person and that is the only opportunity to ask every question under the sun, then Eddie Howe will get a diverse range of questions and Newcastle either have to accept that and live with it 
or they have to put up more than one person. Do you yeah, think that we, would solve it, Ben? Do you think that would make the problem go away? If, for example, let's say Yassel Rabayim give you a, an hour's interview. Realistically, what's he going to say? I'm the chairman of the PIF, which is the Public Investment Fund. Uh, I, I invest on behalf of the, of the Saudi nation to make the, the country more, uh, less reliant on oil by 2030 for our vision 2030, the 100-year celebration. I'm also the chairman of one of the most successful companies on the planet, which is Aramco. And I'm the chairman of what will be the best football club on the planet, Newcastle United. Then when people start asking questions about human rights, he doesn't do that in his office. That, that's, you know, it's, it's the, unless people get the answer they want to hear, it's, it's not going to go away. So I agree with you. It's something that we're going to have to learn to live with as Newcastle fans and either smile it off, bat it off, or learn to ignore it. That's that's what needs to be done. But uh, when you have cheap journalism, especially on social media, when things like you know, Newcastle are, are flying to Saudi, oh, I'm sure it'll be on the same plane that was taken to Turkey. You know, that's that's just trash. You know, it's, it's like a, a gang of kids picking on a, a gang of bullies picking on a young kid and someone at the back. Like, point, yeah, yeah, you tell them, you tell them. It, it's cheap and it embarrasses themselves. But another thing I totally agree with, if the same people keep asking the same questions, they're going to end up making themselves look stupid. It's, it's a football club, it's sport. They, they don't bring on the, like, what's his name? Abramovich didn't get any, didn't give interviews. That's accepted. Why was that accepted as easily? As you quite rightly said, Manchester City, the, the group there, they don't give interviews. Not a problem. You know, the, the PSG, they, they do have a chairman who, who likes to speak, but he speaks on his terms. He's not asked questions about human rights because he's, they're investing in sport. Get to the government. As I said earlier, go and sit your editor, say, sorry, sport's not my bag anymore. I want to be a, geo a geopolitical correspondent for the Middle East. Can I get a transfer to the politics page, please? But they don't. It's just trash talk, and, and it's embarrassing for... For people like yourself in that industry, you know, it's that's this is just my opinion. It really is embarrassing when you have quality journalists out there and they get dragged down with it. Um, and of course, I'll get defensive because Newcastle United's my club. It's a, it's a club I support all my life. I support them with a passion, as yes, as I'm sure you've picked up on. But what has Eddie Howe got to do with anything that happens in Saudi Arabia? To me, he could have answered it. Do you know what? If you want to, if you, if you want to hear a question answered, we're going there for financial purposes because there's been a restriction on financial fair play. We go there. We will be playing Al Hilal, who are the current Saudi champions. They've won the Asian Champions League two out of the last three seasons. Now imagine how many views that gets. Newcastle United will be playing the not the current Asian uh, world champions, but the sorry the Asian Champions League champions. But the current Saudi champions, this is a massive, massive game that will, for Saudi, uh, for Saudi Arabia. It'll, it'll be their benchmark of how good they are against a, an elite club. And it, it'll all be good. But from there, what comes from there is, again, something else you mentioned, there'll be sponsor links, there'll be links sponsored thinking, right, OK, I want to be part of this. I want to get my name on their shirt. I want to get a little bit. See, this sneaky has got two sponsors on there. This one's gone for two minutes. Okay, so it's so the, these these sponsors will come in, but then you have other people crying when we do get sponsored. Oh, that's too much. How on earth can people who live in Manchester 
probably haven't travelled to anywhere but Benidorm decide what the what is too much. The Premier League brag about being a global brand and the biggest sports brand in the world, biggest league in the world. You know yourself, Ben. If someone from the, the Middle East is the kudos, is the status at noon uh, up against Amazon. But on this front shirt here is, is Imar. They're, they're massively famous here in, in the Middle East. But not many people in the UK would have heard it. But the Premier League say we're a global brand. You have other shirts with Chinese writing on them. Most people don't know what it says. So if someone, for, for example, uh, look through PIF's portfolio, uh, the, the one that I believe will be, will, I think that they'll use this sponsor Newcastle in some shape or form will be Aston Martin. It's instantly recognisable. It's British-based initially. It's credible. Uh, and and they, will, they, will, they will, I'm sure they'll be sponsored of us at some stage, whether it's on the shirt, whether it's on a stand, whether it's the stadium or whatever. I, I honestly believe money will come in from that. And then, then they'll say, but not many people in Newcastle can afford Aston Martin. Then I refer you to how many people bought Chevrolet as all the money that they give Manchester United. It's about recognition. It's about someone in Malaysia or someone in Thailand or someone uh, in Indonesia saying, oh, I can buy Chevrolet because they sponsor Manchester United. But again, unless you understand the marketing of it, it's very easy just to have an opinion that's negative. So if Newcastle managed to get a sponsorship that is above what other people deem as the going rate, you don't understand the... It could be a cheap rate here in the Middle East. Uh, you know, the, I'm not just talking about the JCC. I'm talking about the MENA region as well for bringing in Egypt and places like that. There's a huge love for football and Premier League football. And, and if you've got an area that's got a quarter of a billion and every person gives one pound, there's a quarter of a billion pound. Why can't we get sponsorships like that? So it's a game changer. Manchester City have exploited it. We can exploit it. But when they want to have a, a proper Eddie Howe about... Uh, things that have nothing to do with football. To me, it's, it's, it shows their weakness and it's, they're embarrassing their trade. Interesting comments. Before you start, but sorry to interrupt you. Interesting comments coming in from um, a, a couple of people. Uh, I wanted to point out the uh, Manchester United fan, Genghis Khan Jr., who is uh, in the chat. Interesting <laughs> name, mate. Uh, but he's a Manchester United <laughs> fan. Uh, he says, I'd rather have Saudi owners than the Glazers that are treating a great club as nothing more than a cash cow. Uh, the Saudis will guarantee you success. Uh, as for the trip across to Saudi, says it's a good commercial exercise for the club. Same reason clubs to other USA and Asia, etc., because it's a worldwide market. And um, interesting one from Jordi Toombalite as well. He says, Ben, why don't the journalists just try and make an appointment with the head of PIF and go to Saudi if it's agreed? Asking Eddie's pointless. He's not going to answer something that he really doesn't know. Yeah, it's a good question. It all comes down to legwork and contacts. And ultimately, there's not many out there that necessarily got that open communication with PIF. I'm fortunate because I knew Yasser Al-Rumi and from his golf days as head of the Saudi Golf Federation, I was over there on three or four different occasions. And what's interesting about Yasser Al-Rumi is that when he does do press conferences, he has been asked about human rights. He has been asked about the death of Jamal Khashoggi and he has spoken about it. So Stu, you sort of preempted what he might say. And you're absolutely right that now because of his new position, he might be a little bit more media trained. But back then he was quite happy to speak on record at a press conference about the death of Khashoggi. He obviously denied the government involvement. And 
it's up to us as journalists to go to different sources and to do our investigations and to see whether or not we believe what was said and prove it with facts. But he is eloquent. He's naturally comfortable in English. And I think that the key for me remains them speaking either to the media, if I'm to be greedy, or the fan base directly, because it won't necessarily, as you say, Stu, solve everything. But what it will do is give the football club and the media a yardstick to go by. So once he's done it once, of course, other questions may come up, other things may be discussed. But at that point the media cannot say he's dodged it the media cannot say that he's not responded to it and eddie howe can constantly say well you asked my chairman that and i refer you to his comments and this is the best way that anyone that is chased by the media can respond i do a lot of media training within different football clubs and the first thing i say to anyone i'm talking to is once you've made your point if the question is repeated to you, if you're hounded on it, just come back to the fact that you've answered that question. And if you keep saying, I refer you to my previous comments, I refer you to my chairman's comments, I've already answered that question. Eventually, the journalist looks very, very stupid. And that's one of the first things that we always teach executives when I go into football clubs about how they should try and respond, because if they do it in that manner then they're not going to get caught out. They've made their point clearly and concisely. And those watching will only feel that the journalist is looking unprofessional. But the football club can sometimes look unprofessional if they just constantly are not transparent. And I'm not specifically talking about Newcastle, but everything can't always be on a manager. So this is a broader point that, of course, I'm going to say this because I'm a journalist and I want to be able to get in front of as many people as I can. But generally, every owner and every football club should make more time to speak directly to the media and or the fan base because that builds the connection and the transparency. And Newcastle won this takeover based on the word transparency. So I would like to see Yasser Al-Rumi and engage with the media and the fan base more. And then why don't the journalists go over and make the appointment with PIF and fly to Saudi and do the interview? The short answer is it's because it's not what PIF want. And it's not as easy as just rocking up domestically to somebody's office and seeing if you can doorstep them. You might have seen that with Al Rumi and with the Live Golf Tour. There was an attempt to doorstep him and he answered one question and walked away. But if you want to get over to Saudi Arabia, you need somebody to allow you into Saudi Arabia. You need a visa. You need a purpose to be there. So if PIF don't want to facilitate that and they don't at this stage, it's virtually impossible for a journalist without a pre-existing relationship to make well, that. Ben, just to correct you there, the tourist yeah. visa, you get a British passport, you tourist visa on arrival now. It's opened up quite considerably in the last six months. Mm. Uh, I travel on a business visa, but... Uh, I think there's 40 countries that if you, as long as you've got a valid passport, you can just turn up and there's a tourist. They're opening their doors now. Uh, and again, it's changes like this that should be promoted. But with, with regarding any yeah, how answering things, it's, 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 it's not right to be asking, asking him that question. I get it, yes, I'll remind, could say some more, but so could other chairmen. But the, there wasn't this outrage when Manchester City took over. Uh, got, were taken over, you know, so why is it Newcastle? And I refer back to my original points. It's out of fear. A club that's not in the the the, the, the traditional top four as it used to be, then the top six as it become. And we gear crashed it for a, for a while and we, we did it playing football similar to what we'll be playing now. 
But it's, it's a way to, to bash Newcastle to try and create an agenda, but also it's a deflection from my, my club is struggling. Oh, I've got nothing else to write. I'm not prepared to do, as you say you do, and I'm sure you do, but as, as a journalist should be doing, proper research. And it's very easy just to be flippant and, and say, well, you know, well, what do you want? What about this? What about that? Go out, take a week's holiday, take two weeks' holiday, go and experience it, go and live it, and be pleasantly surprised. And for all the Newcastle fans, I hope you will be traveling to Saudi Arabia. I'll say it just, just to reiterate respect the country's laws. Don't think you can go drinking because you can't, but you'd be pleasantly surprised. The, the cultural change, this, it's seismic. Seriously, Ben, you'll, you'll know yourself, it's been mm. seismic over the last decade, and it's only getting better. Can I jump yeah. in, Sue? Because you've done, um, you know, you, you, you've said you've said everything really, really well, and I think it's been a great discussion between you two guys. I knew it would be. I'm going to bring George in in a second. I just, I, I urge people just to jump on and watch Newcastle's YouTube, though. Uh, just about the questions that the press answer, and yeah. I, and and forgetting the Saudi, the, forgetting the Saudi questions that Simon Bird asked. I couldn't believe that Lee Ryder, who I respect again, he's a great, he's a good pal of mine. We've played, we've played football together. Um, I couldn't, he asked a question: Do you think Tottenham Hotspur's ground is the best ground in the league? Um, I, I, I sometimes scratch my head. <laughs> what on earth? You've got a, you've got that five, you know, you've got your five minutes of questioning, and you choose to ask a question like that. And you know, if Lee said, "Of course, we've got the best atmosphere." He followed it up, but Eddie Howe again was like scratching his head. I, I just sometimes I just wonder, you know, what if you haven't got a sensible question to ask? I, you know, you don't just ask one for the sake of it. But you know, that's just my opinion. Again, George, you've listened to what Ben's had to say and listened to what Stu's had to say. And I, I look, two guys I respect massively. They yeah. both, they both put that, put their, put their views across eloquently week after week on this platform. What's your take on it, George? Is it is the, is the, well, is the referee? <laughs> well, I, my take isn't entirely um, unbiased because for the last 11 years, for obvious reasons, I've been going back and forth to the Middle East to my son's place, sometimes 10 times a year. So with Marjorie and I have uh, travelled that wide and we've been all over the Middle East with our Neil. I also know that FIFA had their, their main medical centre in Dubai uh, and the uh, first, very first dental specialist registered with FIFA happens to be called Neil Mitchell. You know, I mean, so I'm not, I'm not entirely uh, unbiased in this. What does get my goat, and you, I think you're over generous about Simon Bird's, uh, Steve, a journalist for a red top who's asking a question, if it hasn't got any meaning, he should be sacked. So if it, why is he asking Eddie how are we doing promotion for the government? That, that's ridiculous. What he should be doing is going and knocking on 10 Downing Street and saying, hey, this contract you've got with Saudi Arabia for aeroplanes and guns and tanks and training the armed forces, why have you taken all the human rights stuff out of it that you would put in for other countries? Ask, ask, the, ask 10 Downing Street that. That's the question they should be asking. And as an ordinary uh, fan, that's the kind of thing. It's so, What is upsetting to me as a, an ordinary fan, it's so selected and pointed towards Newcastle United. Gary Neville for example, this week, has had a lot to say about it as well. I mean, Gary's um, a pretend socialist. He wouldn't know socialist if he fell over one. Um, and yet, he was still having a go, and he was making that report for BN in, 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 in Qatar. Well, is he not going to sit in a stadium where some poor sod's fallen off the top because of the, they didn't have proper safety? You know, 
it's it's so um, selective and, and uh, one-sided, and, and he's not going to refuse all the freebies he's going to get when he goes to Qatar. Is he hell? He's going to take them all. So I, it's the selectiveness that gets me. And, and uh, I, I, I mean, I can go back when when I used to do admission stuff and international work for the university, which I did for a lot of years. One of the places I uh, was the last, nearly the last place in the Middle East I was asked to go to was to Saudi Arabia and we'll go to a British Council exhibition in, in, in the capital. And uh, Marjorie and I, because I was taking Marjorie, had to go into an office in the university for a week to have instruction on how to behave when we're in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, things like sitting down without showing the the bottom of your feet and all that sort of thing. I mean, it was horrendous, but we did it because the university was interested in expanding that area. We never got because a stupid man called Saddam Hussein attacked somebody, some, somebody else, so we never got to Saudi Arabia. What I'm trying to say is that I'm not without experience and I'm not without um, sympathy uh, about people wanting to know answers to these questions. What I am about is an ordinary fan seeing his club trashed in my opinion, uh, and singled out. I mean, why, why, the biggest Saudi Arabia, um, the oldest and longest uh, promotional piece of work that was done in the Premier League is Manchester United. And who with? Saudi Arabia Telecommunication, Telecommunications Company. Why aren't they asking them about that? Why isn't Gary, Gary Neville want to know about that? Why is you know why is it got to be just Newcastle United? That's that's where I and I think other normal fans, ordinary fans, shall I say, like myself, get annoyed about it because it seems to be so selective. What happened when we we brought our uh, third green and white strip out? There was a queue to buy them. And that was that was that was an expression of uh, support for anything other than saying to them, well, if you don't like it. We, we're going to show you what we think about it. Because my naive view is, as you see, that, that this this sponsorship is, is going to have a two-way thing. They're going to see how we behave in Newcastle. They're going to see how we, we treat families. They're going to see how we, we, we have our um, uh, own lives and, and, and so on. Actually, they'll be, they'll be wondering about our human rights if they see how many bloody food banks there are. You well, know, George, that's a great it, point, and I said this right at the start of the whole was, takeover it, situation. It, we, we, we aren't with, you know, with a clear conscience as a nation with regards to human rights, and we were given a second chance by the world, and we have, you know, gradually changed our ways over over decades and centuries. So, for me personally, you know, what's the difference? What nobody yeah. can change their ways. That was always my mindset. But look, well, all I'm, George, all you I'm made your clumsily trying to say it's a two-way street. Yeah, uh, but let it let let's have it for all of them. Let's let's find out about the sweatshop in Malaysia for for Leicester. Yeah. Let's find about what's happening in Myanmar for. for, no, for don't upset Ben with Leicester. We could yeah, and listen. Everyone's put their points across brilliantly, George. I'm really pleased you could jump on as well and give you your views. You know me; I like to keep it to an hour. I don't want to drag it on. Let's. Get it back to, to, to football uh, just briefly. Newcastle away at the Spurs. Uh, Stu, give us your view. Uh, how do you say you're going? What do you think the result's going to be? 
We conceded three against Man City, two against Liverpool. So I think we'll concede one against Tottenham. And we're more than capable of going there and scoring at least one. So I would have had us down for a 2-1 win. But I think Spurs they were that abysmal on Wednesday night against Man United. I can see it being a 1-1 draw. 1-1 draw. George? 2-1 uh, win for Newcastle. 2-1 win. Ben? It's just a yardstick game, isn't it, for both teams. Spurs could easily kind of have a backlash performance because of that result against Manchester United. And if Newcastle can get something like they did away at Manchester United, it really tightens up that top four with Spurs being third. And if they win, it becomes a statement win. I think the Tottenham will be improved. Uh, I think that Newcastle will get something from the game uh, and there'll be goals in it. 2-2 for me. 2-2 for you, Ben. Just give a shout out to where people can find your work, mate. Yeah, thanks, Jacobs Ben on Twitter, Ben David Jacobs on Instagram, CBS Sports, Golazo, G-O-L-A-Z-O for the work handles. Fantastic. Uh, great chat, that. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, let's finish with a little bit of humour. Clubber, I did see your messages, mate. He goes, morning, lads. Uh, I've sent me here and away to be repaired over three weeks ago, and I haven't heard anything since. Ah. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he says he's and he's just seen a guy with a thin slice of lemon behind his ear. And he asked him if it was new, sophisticated hearing aid. He said it wasn't. It's his lemonade. Oh God! Oh, that's bad one. Clover, fantastic mate. Thanks for giving us a laugh. Uh, Don reckons a one nil win. Two nil says two nil says Stu, and a one one draw says Sefton would love it if Mickey got the winner though. Okay, thanks very much. I'm back at nine o'clock tomorrow for some pre match patter, and uh, just want to thank the guests Stu, George, and Ben. Until the next time, lads. Take care. Thanks for having us, lads. Thanks, thanks everyone. Thank thank you. Bye. A big thanks to our sponsors, Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 25 45 25 email inquiries at skips website skipsandbins.com, easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection. Thanks to Darren Baldwin Funerals, based on old Durham Road in Gateshead, their phone number is 0191478273 you can email Darren at darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk or go to the website darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk. Thanks to Garden of Healing Dispensary, CBD hemp and cannabinoid specialists based on Nun Street. The GOHD.com is their website. And thanks again to Three Property Investments, who specialise in sourcing investment properties for their clients who are looking to invest in the Northeast. They offer a full in-house service from sourcing the deals to managing the properties for you. They've done over 100 plus deals in the past 12 months for clients all over the UK. Give them a follow on Instagram, matty.patter underscore northeast property and phil.read underscore northeast property or email phil at threeproperty.co.uk if you're interested in getting a good property deal. Thanks to the lads at Mr. Vicky's uh, Handmade in Cumbria. These are hot sources and you can find them at mrvickys.co.uk or place an order uh, by ringing 01768 210102. Thanks also to the lads at Blowhole Brewery. A fine uh, amount of ales available from their website, www.blowholebrewery.co.uk. Thanks to Media Arts for all the help with the video technology. Thanks to qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle. And the guys who run our website, nufcmatters.com. If you want to subscribe, hit the badge in the corner and you can subscribe for free. Still do seven shows a week. Hit the thumb up to like the video and click share to share to your social media. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify and the rest. 
And if you want to become a member, click join underneath this video, or you can put your smartphone over the QR code. It will take you to the membership section of the website. Uh, if you choose to go that way, uh, then you will get a pen, a cup, a scarf and a membership card and entry into the monthly draw for a one-off payment of £25. We also give you something for free. If you want a car window sticker, email john at nufcmatters.com and he will send you one if you are a subscriber. We also help the food bank on here. Uh, NUFC fans, foodbank.co.uk is the match day bucket. If you go there, you can make a virtual donation at any time of the year. And don't forget, Peter Beardsley Soccer School, October half term, Monday the 24th to Friday the 28th of October. You can book now, peterbeardsleysoccerschool.com. Peter's also running Monday night training on the 26th of October. Again, the same website. And if you want to meet Peter Beardsley, well, you've got three chances. Newcastle Legends game, Friday, October the 14th. The Peter Beardsley talk-in is taking place after the game. Tickets for this are available from nufcmatters.com. Adult admission is a fiver. Junior admission is £2. The talking is adults only, and that is a tenner. And uh, the events are all taking place at the Fox Hunters Pavilion in North Shields. We've got Peter Beardsley available, uh, tickets available for the St Dom's Catholic Club show. Uh, you need to go straight to their website um, and uh, you just buy your tickets there. And for this one at the Irish Centre, uh, tickets are available now on NUFC Matters. Dot com. Don't forget, Supermax at the Dog and Parrot, every pre-match and every post-match, every home game. And John Gibson and John Anderson are at Pumphrey's pre-match only. If you did like our true crime stuff, it has all migrated to the true crime channel. So get yourself across there on YouTube and subscribe today. Uh-huh.